as a believer, as a Christian, most Christians get saved. They get saved, and they're, they're on their way to heaven. They're going to heaven. They're going to be with Jesus because the thing about salvation you have to understand is salvation is not based on you. Salvation is placed on you. Salvation is not based on you. Salvation is placed on you, and it's placed on you by Jesus, which means there is nothing you can really do for salvation but believe. That's, all, that's the only part you have in salvation is the faith part, is the belief part, is the trusting God part. But salvation comes from God. It's all God. There, there's no you involved in salvation. There's no works. And a lot of people hate this concept because you feel like good people should go to heaven. You feel like if someone is good, if they come to church, if they do the right things, if they pay their tithes, if they do all the Christian things, they deserve heaven. And you feel like someone that's a bad person, someone that's evil, someone that does bad things deserve hell. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you went to heaven and you saw Hitler? And then if you looked down in hell and saw Mother Teresa, how would you feel about that? You, something in you wouldn't sit right because you were told that salvation is work-based. That you can do something to earn God's forgiveness. You can do something to, to earn God's worthiness. You can do something to earn righteousness. But the Bible says on your best day, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. A filthy rag. You can't earn righteousness. You can't. Righteousness is imputed to you. It's imputed to you by Jesus. That's why Jesus said you have been justified. Justified means just if I'd never sinned. Just if I'd never sinned. So the thing you got to understand about the gospel is the gospel is a scandal. The gospel is a scandal. It's a huge scandal. That dirty, messed up, crazy, drunk, sinning, undeserving people can go to heaven and live like kings and queens. That's a scandal. The gospel is a scandal. It's not fair. The gospel isn't fair at all. It's the biggest scandal in the universe. Because if you would be honest, you deserve hell. That's what you deserve. Your works, your ways earn you hell. But the crazy thing about this scandal is you don't get to heaven because of your good. You get to heaven because of God's good. You're not accepted by your good. You're not rejected by your bad. You're accepted by Jesus' good, and he covers your bad. He covers your wrongs, and he covers your sin. Now, what you got to understand in salvation in salvation, Jesus don't come to make bad people good. No, no. He comes to make dead people live. You're not bad. You're dead without Christ. You're not bad. You are legit dead. And when you meet Jesus Christ and you accept him, the Bible says you're born again. And the reason why you're born again is because the first time you was born to lose. But when you get born again, you're born to win. You're born according to God. You're born according to the spirit. And in this life, you have a new spirit. That's why the Bible says Jesus was the firstborn of the dead. What the Bible was actually saying is 
Not that Jesus was the first physically born from the dead, because Lazarus was born from the dead. The little girl was born from the dead. We see people all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, before the death of Jesus, that were born from the dead. They came back from the death, the dead. But the difference, the reason why it says Jesus was the first born of the dead was he was the first person to die and come back to life spiritually. He was the first that had a dead spirit, and that spirit came back to life. Because on the cross, when Jesus took on our sin, he took on the nature of sin. He died spiritually, which caused him to die physically. If you don't die spiritually, you can't die physically. So Jesus died. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He was born again spiritually. And the reason why he was born again spiritually is so you could be born again spiritually. The reason why Jesus came back from his grave is so you could come back from your grave. And God says, I want to turn this grave into a garden like my friend Ernie said earlier because you are a grave. You are a walking grave. You are the walking dead. And God says, I want to turn your dead into life. I want to turn your grave into a garden. I want to set you free. And I set you free from death. And you give birth to life. So, the gospel. The gospel. Salvation. Heaven. Heaven is about Jesus. And what Jesus does, the reason why you get to go to heaven is because you have imputed righteousness. Imputed. Now, let me tell you something about the word imputed. Imputed is such a magical word because you don't get judged based on your righteousness. You get judged based on Jesus' righteousness. That when the Father sees you, the Father sees Christ. The Bible says he was your representative. Jesus represents you. See, let me, let me, let me show you in terms you can kind of understand it. Back in the biblical days, when they got ready to go to war, two kings, they would sit and they would look at each other. And they would say, man, if we go to war, it's going to cost us this amount of gold, this amount of crops, this amount of livestock, this amount of men. It's going to weaken us. We got other enemies surrounding both of us. And if we went to war, we're both going to lose. No matter who wins, we both lose. But we have a a more simpler way of going to war. And the simpler way we have to go to war is an imputed fight. An imputed fight. Which means we get our best soldier, you get your best soldier. And whoever wins is Lord of all. Whoever wins takes the gold, takes the land, whatever we're going to war for. Um, If we're going to war for, for who's enslaved, whoever soldier wins takes all. Because that soldier is representing this army, and this soldier is representing this army. It's an imputed fight. In other words, let's spare all the bloodshed. Let's let two men fight. And that's what we see in the story of David and Goliath. That Goliath represented the Philistines, and David represented the children of Israel. And when he won, he set his whole nation free. Now, you got to understand something about the gospel. There was two people that God allowed to fight on our behalf against the enemy. The first one was Adam. And Adam represented the mankind race. He represented all humanity. Adam actually means man. He was a human man. He was a dirt man. He represented all of us. And he went and he was defeated to the serpent in the garden. And when Adam was defeated, I got bad news. 
you were defeated too. That's why the Bible says you was born in sin and shaping in iniquity. God, why am I born in sin? Why is my beautiful daughter born in sin? The reason why we're born in sin is because Adam died to sin. Adam fell to sin. Adam was defeated to sin. The serpent represented hell. Adam represented humanity. And when Adam fell, the human race fell. And the serpent, the scorpion, the devil had all power. He had a right to you. That's why he can come to the presence of God and say, let me take all Job have. And God released him to do that because he had rights because you lost them and Adam. But then God said he would send the second Adam, the second representative of humanity, the second Adam, which was Jesus Christ. And he would go to the cross. He would crush death, hell, and the grave on your behalf. And he would set the captives free. And he would leave you with no bondage. And he would break every chain in your life. Come on, somebody. Give our king a shout of praise. So as a Christian... As a Christian, though, you got to understand something. Jesus didn't just die for you to go to heaven. Jesus actually died for heaven to come to you. So you didn't supposed to just die and go to heaven. You're supposed to live heavenly on your way to heaven. In other words, Jesus didn't just die for you to have a robe of righteousness and you to walk around without a coat on earth. Jesus didn't just die. He didn't just die so you can be seated in heavenly places and so you can just be standing up on earth. No, you're not just seated when you go to heaven. You're seated right now on earth. So, Jesus died. You're going to heaven. Now we got to figure out how to get heaven to you. And that's where we get to our title today of our sermon. If you're taking notes, I know that was a long introduction, but the sermon will be short. We get to our title today. Our title is No Bondage. Shout, No Bondage. bondage. Shout, No Bondage. bondage. I'm going to show you how to get out of bondage today. If you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to preach this fast, y'all. No bondage. Luke is one of the Gospels, by the way, guys. New Testament. How y'all feeling today? Okay, good deal. Y'all all right? Well, you're going to get set free today. I believe it by the power of God. Luke chapter 15, verse... 11. Let's jump down to verse 16 because I don't really have time to read all this. I got to get out of here pretty quick. Uh, The backdrop on verse 11 is a father had two sons and then the younger son said, hey, give me my portion. Give me what belongs to me so I can go out and do my thing. Don't want to serve you no more. Don't want to be here no more. Give me my bread. I'm out. All right. That's what happened. We'll jump to verse 16. It says, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pots that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So now it's this younger son, which we call the prodigal son. He's inside of the pig pen, and he's in there hungry. He don't have anything. He's broken. He's lost. He's lost all of his wealth. He's squandered everything. He's ran from his father's house. He's been disconnected. He's been out there having wild living. He's just been far, far from God. And in verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I would perish with hunger. I, would, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. Servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called to be your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Now his older brother... The son was in the field, and he came and drew near the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, a lot of church folks right here. This is a lot of church folks I'm going to read. This, these church folks, all right, be careful. they dangerous. And it says, but he was angry and would not go in. Man, that sounds like some people in church. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. That sounds like jealousy to me, y'all. <laughs> but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Now, 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 the first thing you have to realize is, um, I know that we always make this a story of like, you know, reaching somebody or lost people or the prodigal son or prodigal's coming home. And as I was getting ready to prepare this week, the Lord told me, he said, go back and look at the prodigal son. I said, Lord, Lord, Lord I was a youth pastor, all right? Every week we preach the prodigal son. I'm not going. And the Lord said, go back and look at the prodigal son. I'm like, all right, God, I'll go back and I'll read what I've always read and what I've always preached. And he said, you've missed it. The thing you got to understand about the scriptures are they're pregnant. And sometimes you're not at a dimension in your life where God is going to reveal to you every piece of the scripture. And some seasons he'll show you some parts. And other seasons he'll show you other parts. So never feel like you're so familiar with the word of God. Because you can never truly know the fullness of the word of God. One scripture can blow your mind for the rest of your life. That's how big and that's how grand our God is. One scripture. You just read one for the rest of your life, you would keep finding new perspectives because the scriptures are impregnated with more revelation, with more wisdom. So, so we're looking at this story, and we have somebody that was a son. He was a son, and that's very significant. He was a son because sometimes there's a belief that when you're a Christian, there is no bondage. When you're a Christian, you're a Christian you can't be enslaved. When you're a Christian, you're just you set free. You're a Christian. He was a son. He was a son. In other words, he was in the house of God. He was in the presence of God. He was a son. That was his birthright. 
but he left the presence of his father. And when he left the presence of his father, he went out and he started having wild living. He started living crazy. He started doing crazy things. He was disconnected. He was disconnected. He was dead. He was dead. He was no longer alive. Now, I'm not implying that you can be saved and not be saved, but I'm just saying he was dead. He was dead in his sins. He was dead in his trespasses. He was in the pig pen. And then the Bible said something so powerful. It's the first step to redemption. It's the first step to freedom. It's the first step of getting out of bondage. The Bible says, and then he came to himself and he said, I'm out here eating in a pig pen and I can go to my father's house because my father has food to spare. I want you to know something. Whatever you need, it's at your father's house. If it's freedom, he has it to spare. If it's, if it's abundance, he has it to spare. Whatever you need, if it's a marriage, he has it to spare. Whatever you need is at your father's house. And so many times when we want to have fun, when we want more money, when we want more resources, we leave the father's house. We leave the father's house. We leave the father's house looking for something. And we try to go into the world and find something and drag it back into the father's house. But we don't realize instead of that happening, we get drugged out of the father's house. What you have to understand, church, is this. Whatever you need is at the father's house. Don't leave the father's house to realize that. Don't lose your marriage to realize that. Don't lose your sanity to realize that. Don't chase the things of these, this world to realize that. What you need is at your father's house. But let me tell you something so powerful when it comes to, be when it comes to being free and being delivered from bondage. The first thing the prodigal son did was come to himself. He came to himself. Church, a lot of you guys are in bondage because you won't come to yourself. You won't be real. You won't be honest. You won't be transparent. You're in denial, and you got your little fake church mask. How are you doing, brother? Blessed and highly favored. I'm the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Yeah. And you got your little church words, and, and you quote in scripture, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But you're dead on the inside. You're dry on the inside. You're lost on the inside. At some point, you have to come to yourself. I don't know what your issue is. Maybe it's porn. You got to come to yourself. Maybe it's guilt. You got to come to yourself. Maybe it's anxiety. You have to come to yourself. The first step of redemption is recognition. The first step of redemption is recognition. You can't be redeemed from what you won't recognize. And guess what? Maybe you're like, well, well, I don't know what my issue is. That's your issue. That is your issue. It is arrogance, and you're blinded to think you're perfect when you're so, so not perfect because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory. You have to recognize, church, the first step, the first thing you have to do is you have to recognize, hey, I'm lost. Hey, I'm a sinner. Hey, I'm a son, but I'm living in bondage. I'm not free. I'm in a prison cell. You have to come to yourself over your issues, over your flaws. You got to get real. You got to get raw. You got to get honest. You got to take off the mask. You can't get healed in the presence of God if you can't get real in the presence of God. Stop being 
Stop being fake. It's exhausting. Be honest with God. He sees you. He knows you. He sees through you. Those attitudes, those thoughts, those struggles, what you're dealing with, God sees it. Some of you, some of you guys are dealing with drugs. God sees it. Some of you guys are dealing with fornication. God sees it. Some of you guys are dealing with doubt and you don't trust God and he sees it. Stop lying to God. Stop lying to yourself. Recognize your shortcomings. It's the first step. God can't deliver someone that thinks they're delivered. God can't free somebody that thinks they're free. And a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians were like, it was like a dog chained up inside of a yard. And somebody unchained the dog, and he started running around. I'm free. I'm free. No, you're not, because you still got a gate around you, bro. You still have a gate around you. And there are so many Christians running in the gate of hell thinking they're free when they're still in bondage. God says he wants you to really be free, not kind of free. He wants you to have complete freedom. I was watching a movie a couple of months ago. And this movie kind of blew my mind because it was a crazy thing. It was, it was this king, and this king would go, and he would get prisoners. So he would go, and he would capture these different prisoners. And he would get these prisoners, and he would capture them, and he would put them inside of a jail cell. He had about 200 prisoners captured. Well, this king had a son, and his son had a soft heart. So his son was like, uh, I don't like the fact that my dad keeps enslaving people these are humans these are people it's not fair so the son went to one of the leaders in the prison and he said sir he said I want you guys to get free I don't want you in jail no more I don't want you in these prison cells no more I want you guys to get free and I want you to free everybody tonight and he was like me how do I free everybody I mean I'm in prison are you gonna free me how do I free everybody like what do I do to get everyone free he said sir there's something that you don't know. And because you don't know this, you've been bound for 10 years. And he looked at the king's son. He said, what don't I know? He said, you don't know the truth. He said, what truth? He said, you see this prison cell that's holding you. He's talking to him through the cell. He said, he said yeah, I see, I see the prison cell. He said, do you know that none of these cells down here have locks on them? None of them have locks. Wow, They've never had locks. And the reason why we never put our resources into locking the prison is because my father noticed when someone came inside of the cells, they never put on a handle. They just accepted bondage. They accepted prison. And they never put on the handle. So they're, they've been, he been in prison for 10 years in the unlocked cell. And the sad part about it is the church is the same way. Like Jessica was singing, every chain is broken. The chains are already broken off your prison doors. The devil has you in a cell with no lock in it. And the reason why it doesn't have no lock is because the devil don't have no key. And the reason why he don't have no key, because at the grave, he lost the keys to the death, hell, in the grave. At the cross, he lost the keys. He lost the power. He lost the authority. He don't have no keys to your prison cell. There is no keys to your prison cell. And if you are in bondage, you are sitting in a cell that's unlocked. 
if, if you would just pull on the handle of freedom, if you would pull on the handle of liberty, you would see who the sun sets free. It's free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You have been set free by the blood of Jesus. You have been set free by the passion of the Christ. You have been set free. I want to tell you, you're not depressed. You are free. You're not a fornicator. You are free. You're not a liar. You are free. Lying is what you do, but it's not who you are. Because if you're in Christ, you are a child of God, a son of God. You've been bought with a price. Oh, come on, somebody. Give our king a 10-second praise break. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4. You're free. You're free. That's what, and, and the thing about freedom is this. Though you're free, you're a prisoner if you don't know. If you don't know. You guys have heard about the holiday Juneteenth. What's so powerful about Juneteenth is the Emancipation Proclamation. That the slaves were free, but they didn't know. They were already set free. But they never walked out because they didn't know. And you are free from anxiety. You are free from worry. You are free from guilt. You know what? You're free from your past. You're free from what you've done. The mistake you're free from. The adultery, you're free. The fornication. The guilt. You are free. You're already free. God can't free you more. Now, what Satan has the power to do is create illusions. He can create illusions. Though you're free, he can put you in a prison. He just can't lock it. At any point you want out, you can get out. At any point you want out, you can get out. It ain't like the movie Get Out where you, you can really get out. You know what I'm saying? Now they, you, know, you ain't in the sucking place, praise God. I feel like Sebring right now. I don't know why. I feel like he would say something like that. You ain't in the sucking place, praise God. You're free. You're free. But the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And many people are bound because they don't know. Let me tell you the truth, church. The truth is you have been set free, not because of your works, not because of your good merits or your deeds. You've been set free by Christ. It has nothing to do with you or your strength. And I know we got some good psychology in the world saying, if you would just try a little harder, if you would just have more positive thinking, if you would just read more self-development books, you can do all that and be in prison. But if you declare the blood of Jesus over your life, you can be free. You don't need a degree. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a book. You need Christ. And that's why some of you guys aren't getting delivered because you're taking pills for demons. You can't take a demon out with a pill. You can't take a demon out with a pill. You got to cast the demon out. I declare by the power of God that what's holding me won't hold me no more. I prophesied in my situation. I prophesied in myself. And I say, every demon has to flee at the name of Jesus. You can't take a pill for a demon. You cast out demons. 
And I'm telling you, some of you guys got some spirits on you, but these spirits got to get off of you because this spirit has no right to live in your life. There's only one spirit that can house me, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's not devil spirits, demon spirits. The Holy Spirit is the only spirit that can live in this temple. And I'm telling you, you got to declare it. Devil, get up out of me. Devils, get up off of me. I declare it. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. So now he came. He recognized his issue. He came to himself. The second thing the prodigal did, after recognition, he went and he repented. He repented. To be set free, you have to repent. Now, I'm ashamed to admit that I didn't fully understand repentance until last night. Because I always thought to repent meant to turn. Or to turn away from your sin or to turn away from whatever, whatever bad thing you're doing. But then I saw in the Bible where God repented. And then I said, hmm, God can't turn from his sin. How did God repent? So it took me down to some research. And I had to realize what repent means. It means metanoia. Metanoia. And I think I'm saying that right. If not, don't judge me. I got a theologian in there like, pastor, that's not the right word. Are you free or are you not? I can quote it wrong, but you better believe I'm going to walk in it, praise God. That's the problem with some folks out there. You can quote everything right, say everything right, but you're dead on the inside. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. I got to take a rabbit trail. I never do this when I'm preaching. I'm taking a rabbit trail. It was this little lady I'll never forget, and she was at this stadium, and it was raining. All the preachers had all the theology. They had all the points and all the quotes and all the scriptures, and they was declaring it, and it kept raining. That little woman came out there. She said, Lord Jesus, 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 Lord Jesus. I declare this rain stopped, and in a moment the rain stopped. They quoted it. They talked about it. They read it. They had a degree in it. They knew everything about God, but they didn't know him like she knew him. Because late in the midnight hour, she knew that her God can turn it around. I'm telling you, it's not just enough to know the Bible. You got to know the God of the Bible. It's not just enough to know the scripture. You got to know the Lord of the scripture. It's not enough just to be going to heaven. You got to know the one that sits on the throne of heaven. And if you know him, you may not say it right. You might not have all the verses. I don't need a verse when I got a relationship. Another kid can come to me more lofty with a better way of asking for something. I may say no because it ain't my kid. My kid can just say, dad, 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 dad. Access granted. If you're a child of God, you can just say, Dada, Dada, Abba, Abba. Access granted. Why? Because you're a child. And if you ask according to his will, it will be done unto you. Come on, somebody. Anyways, that had nothing to do with my sermon. Back to the sermon. I'm sorry, guys. Give me one once a month. He went and he repented. The word means metanoia. Metanoia. Meta means change. Noia 
means mind. To repent means to change your mind. That's how God repented. He just changed his mind. God never changes his character, but he does change his mind. You even go to Genesis 6. God repented, he made man. God can repent. He can change his mind. Repent means to change mind. So the prodigal son, he repented. He changed his mind. He changed his mind about how he viewed his father. He changed his mind about how he viewed himself. He changed his mind about how he viewed everything. He he changed his mind about pride. He became humble. He changed his mind. He went through metanoia. He changed his mind. To repent means to change your mind. You have to change your mind. Now, there is an act of repentance that's turning. That's part of it. But the first thing is change your mind. My question is, have you changed your mind about your bondage? Have you changed your mind about it? Have you changed your mind about the sins that you're doing? Because in order to do those sins, there's a way that you're viewing yourself and others and God that enables you to sin. And until you repent, until you change your mind, you're going to keep doing the same thing. The repent, you have to change your mind. That's why repent, actually, when you go to Romans 12 and 2, it talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can't, transformation and freedom comes by a renewed mind. You can't just be free because you pray. No, there's a part of freedom that God does, and he's already done it. There's a part of freedom that you do, and you have to change your mind. When that guy was in the prison cell, his mind told him these doors are locked. He found out the truth, and when he got the truth, he changed his mind about how he viewed the doors, which enabled him to open the doors, which enabled him to freedom. You have to change the way you look at your situation. If you keep looking at your situation like, I'll never be delivered, it's just too big and strong, guess what? You won't be. But if you look at your situation and say, I am a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I am the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. And I can be set free, not by my marriage, but by Jesus' blood. If you would see your situation that way, you will have no bondage. Every chain is broken. So the son had to change his mind. You have to change your mind. You have to change your mind. And sometimes changing your mind means changing your ways. See, let me tell you why a lot of people live in bondage. A lot of people live in bondage because they're stupid. I know you shouldn't say that at church. You should not do that. You should not call no one. This is bad preaching right now, but it's real. I'm sorry. The Lord, I was like, Lord, I got to do this. I, I, I kind of, the Lord was like, find another word. No, nah, Lord, I'm going to use this one. I'm going to use this one. You're stupid. Pastor called me stupid. The church supposed to build me up. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, the church can motivate you straight to hell. <laughs> whoop me to heaven, please. Don't motivate me to hell. Well, I'd rather be whooped to heaven, amen? <laughs> Who God loves, he chastises. Let me be real with you. The reason why most of you guys deal with sin is because you put yourself in a place of personal weakness and you expect God's strength. Let me let you in on a secret. Let me let you in on a secret. Even after you're redeemed, even after you're a brand new person, that, that though your spirit is new, you, you are a new creation spiritually, your flesh keeps traces and residue. So when we sung every 
uh, every stain erased. That's partially true. Every stain off of your spirit is erased. But unfortunately, you still have stains on your flesh. There's still stains there. What you've done in the past, there are still stains. I don't care how delivered you are. If you've been on drugs and you get too close to them, they will bite you. If you struggle with fornication, you get too close to it, it will bite you. Every chain is removed. But you have to be smart enough as a Christian to watch where you place your feet. You have to be, you have to be smart enough. There are certain things I won't do. Certain places I won't go to, certain people I won't be around because of the stains on my flesh. The heart is wicked. Who can know it? The flesh is evil. You can't trust yourself. Some of you guys need to come to yourself to realize you can't trust yourself. And once you get that revelation, you can make smarter decisions and not be stupid. I'm at somebody's house today. I'm reading somebody's milk. Somebody like Pastor KJ, get up off that thing. Oh, Pastor KJ, please. I heard somebody begging, stop. No, I ain't going to stop. We're going to press that thing. We're going to press it today because every chain is broken. We're believing for no bondage. And many of you guys are singing no bondage, walking to the cells that the devil built for you. If you don't want to be in bondage, quit going to the jail cell. That place, that person, that girl, that dude is a prison. Stay away from them if you want no bondage. So, the prodigal son repented. And there's a way he repented. There's two things. The Bible says he repented to heaven and to his father. I sinned against heaven and I sinned against you. There's something I don't like about this. And I believe in the book of James it says the same. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed or set free. I don't like that. I do not like that. I'm a private person, and I don't want to confess my sins to nobody. I don't want to do that. But the Bible says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed, that you may be set free, that there may be no bondage. Satan thrives in darkness. He thrives in darkness. Sometimes to open the prison door, you first got to turn on the lights. The lights. Confess your sin. See, the prodigal son didn't just go to God and say, I repent. He repented to his father. He told somebody about what was going on with him. See, that point, you keep hiding it. You won't talk to nobody. And you got to find the right person to talk to because it's very vulnerable and it's very transparent. And you got to make sure you can trust somebody because they may expose you. And I know that's the risk you run, but there's a bigger risk not talking to nobody. And that is bondage. Because God says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. In other words, there can be a part of your healing that's not happening because you're not having confession. It's, it's everything, every miracle, heaven and earth has to agree. Even the miracle of freedom. Heaven's already, every chain is broken. Heaven done this part. You got to do your part. You got to confess your sins to one another. Okay? Now, the third thing is, the first one you recognize, the second one you repent, the third one is, 
you renounce the lies. You renounce the lies. Let me show you the lies. Do you know all bondage begins with a lie? All bondage begins with a lie. You know, in the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, do you know there wasn't one person in bondage? There was two people in bondage. One was, in, one was out having wild living. One stayed at the house. One stayed at the church. He was in bondage too. Wow. Let me show you something in the Bible that I've never heard a preacher catch before. It says, verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, ever. Who in here got kids? I got a question for you. Has your kids ever transgressed your commandment? Have they ever? I got a little baby. I'm like, don't throw up. Just transgress me, girl. So he said, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. He was a liar. He was a liar. And he couldn't even see it. He was blinded by his lies. Ain't no son has never transgressed their father. Dude, you're a liar. You're religious, you're self-righteous, and you're a liar. Like most church people, right? It says... And yet, you never gave me a young goat. He's lying again. Because earlier in the story, the Bible says that he divided his wealth up between his two sons. He was the firstborn. Because the other prodigal son was the younger son. Which means he was the double portion boy. Which means he got two-thirds of his father's inheritance. And the younger brother only got one-third. Because he was the double portion boy. Which means he had more goats than everybody. That's why the father called him on it. He said, but as soon as this son of yours came, you devoured. Okay, verse 31. He says, and he said to him, son, you are with me. You are always with me. And all that I have is yours. We've divided the wealth up, you idiot. I don't even have to, because, see, you're supposed to divide the wealth when the father dies. But the younger brother denounced the father. When you ask for your father to give you your inheritance before he dies, you're saying, Dad, you're dead to me. And the dad can't give the younger brother his inheritance without giving the older brother his because he's the double portion baby. So God, so the dad was saying like, bro, I'm living here, but it ain't even my stuff no more. All I have is yours now. So you're saying I never gave you a young goat. Idiot, I gave you all the young goats. They're all yours. He lied. And whenever you hear people say words like never, you see married people, i never done anything wrong to my husband, you liar. I've always been a good husband, you liar. No, you haven't. First of all, that ain't even your call to make. I don't decide how good of a husband I am. My wife does. If she said I suck as a husband, guess what? I suck as a husband. Liar. Pastor Kenta is really mean today. just want you to get free. Freedom is rough sometimes. Freedom is mean sometimes. He, in order to get free, older brother, you have to renounce the lies. Stop lying. 
Stop lying. You can't get free if you keep lying. That's why you should know the truth, and the truth should set you free. Now, my fourth point, and I'm going to close. The fourth point is allow God to restore you. Allow God to restore you. Here, check this out. See, guilt, shame, anxiety, and depression will put you in a state where you won't allow restoration to happen. He went to his dad and he said, I don't deserve to be your son. I, 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 let me be a slave. Let me be a hurt servant. He went with guilt and bondage. Next thing you know, you fast forward. And this clown at the party eating a young goat, dancing. He up there doing the whip. Dude, how you go from, how you go from, I'm not deserving to be your kid to, watch me whip, watch me nay nay. Like, bro. You over here eating a young goat? You here? You eating loca luna? You need to be eating dirt. You here eating loca luna? Now we don't see what happened before that. He could have. He could have not went. There are some Christians that won't go to their restoration party because of shame. Wow. They won't show up. They won't go. They won't accept restoration. Had that prodigal son messed up. <laughs> Restore who? <laughs> son who? What? I'm back? Cool. Now, restoration. And look how the father restored him. The first one, he said, put a ring on his finger. Prophet Beyonce No said, if you wanted it, you should have put a ring on it. <laughs> All right, back to the spirit. I'm sorry. <laughs> A ring, a ring, a ring. Do you know a ring was a symbol of authority? It was a symbol of authority. In other words, a ring was put on his finger. His father gave him authority. If you look at Pharaoh when he was talking about Joseph, he said, I give you my ring. And he said, nobody will lift a foot or a, head, a, foot or a hand in Egypt without your word. Because you got the ring. You got the authority. And let me tell you something. When you believe in Jesus and when you're restored, he gives you authority over serpents. He gives you authority over devils. He gives you authority over scorpions and over everything that will come against you. He gives you a ring. He gives you a ring of authority. You have authority not on your marriage but on God's marriage. That ring wasn't the little boy's power. It was the power of the house. When you get a ring from heaven, you got the power of heaven backing you. That's why when the Bible says whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven because you were a ring of authority. You have dominion over the earth. God placed the ring on you when he created you. And when you accept him and you're born again, you get your ring back. Now, the second thing the father put on him was a robe. A robe. If you go to... Don't go. But Isaiah 61 to 10, the Bible talks about Christ covering us with a righteous robe. A robe is a symbol of righteousness. That's why the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin that we may become the righteousness of Jesus. And translation, it says, he that wore the righteous robe, took off the righteous robe, died as us, rose, picked up the righteous robe, and put it around us. He restored his son. He gave him a robe of righteousness. When you 
get free and you come back to God and you're free to God and you repent, you get a robe of righteousness. And then the last thing is he put shoes on his feet. You remember when Joshua went to the presence of the Lord? And he said, take off your shoes for you're on holy ground. He had to take off his shoes because he wasn't worthy to stand there. He didn't have a right. The prodigal son's father put shoes on his feet. In other words, he said, son, you are worthy. Because earlier the son says, I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me a slave. And the father put shoes on his foot to say, son, you are worthy. And you do have a right to stand here. And I am worthy, you're worthy to stand in the presence of God, not because of our good, but because of God's good. I get to stand here because of Jesus, not because of me. Somebody give Jesus a shout of praise.